Tom. Hey, John. You're using video with me. You never use video. Well, yeah, I mean, I figured it out, actually. I didn't want to do it yesterday with Frank just because, again, it, it's a, it's kind of a distracting. Isn't it distracting for you when you're you're talking and you feel like you got to be looking at the camera and so you're presenting yourself well? So unnatural. I thought my teeth looked really white yesterday. I think my beard makes my teeth look whiter. Mm, interesting. Are you wearing shoes right now? Nope. I got socks on. Socks in the office. And Green Bay Packer, Green Bay Packer socks. The, uh, yeah, are, you, are you wearing pants? I am. I am. Um, oh, there's a first. My pants have been, uh, I've been struggling with this thing where I, so this would be a good little area for us to discuss briefly before we get into sure. Basilero. So sure. I, I keep my pants up and I was trying to think about why, and it's, that sounds like you've like lost weight, but it's not true. So I don't have an ass at all. I have no butt. And uh-huh. I think, I think I'm at the age where, I need to start pulling things up to my belly button. Wow. But, but like, if I do that, like if I, if I had my shirt off and I pulled my gym shorts up to my belly button, my torso is like a foot long. Like it's basically like just an areola and then my neck. Um, wow. But they would stay up like that. That's where the waist is. Do you have any? That's actually a good name. That's a good name for a bar. Areola and neck. What? <laughs> It could be, um, but I, uh, so you don't have any issues with the, with the pants slipping down? No, I feel pretty good about my body. Um, um, my wife doesn't, but um, um, no, I mean, no, I don't pull my anything up to my chest. Well, we kind of grew up through like the Jordan era NBA. Everything was kind of baggy, um, but I. Yeah, I'm a baggy. Yeah, I'm baggy for sure. I think I got to go stocked and like, I got to go high uh, height now. Nothing's worse than tight clothes. Nothing. I don't, I got to start doing it. So this, we did our, uh, this was our fourth podcast. We talked yep. the number one late night news guy in Minnesota, Frankie Vassalero. Uh, what did you think of the conversation? Um, I thought he was fantastic. Um, I didn't know a lot about him. Um, and I thought that, uh, you know, I knew you were a big fan and obviously I knew who he was and, and where he stood on the food chain, which is at the top, but, um, man, he was just a really decent, nice, funny, engaging guy. I mean, really, it's cool to meet guys like that and find out that they're cool guys. That was kind of the observation. I, I was surprised. So the Frank, I know is, um, is pretty wild, right? Like, um, I, I, when he first came to the twin cities, he, uh, he was like the Tasmanian devil of, uh, local news. I mean, you would just, you'd bump into this guy, um, places and, and he was, he was wild, you know? Um, uh, and I, what I was surprised about in the interview was he, he's very, um, he's very like sweet and good. (laughs) You know, I mean, if you look at, uh, yep. him talking about his dad, his children, his wife. Um, uh, I think he's, he's a rare example where he, he is the guy on TV is the guy picking up a uh, gumball size, you know, poop in the dog park, um, right. uh, the next morning. So I think maybe that's why he's number one is he just is himself on TV. Um, but I, uh, I'm a big fan. 
Yeah, I mean, he was like, again, like, it's kind of fun to listen to guys and how they get to where they're at, right? And you can tell that he, you know, he came from a good family. You know, obviously, he, um, he has a really interesting background. Um, but, you know, he started at the bottom, right? I mean, you know, I mean, when I say bottom, I mean, he worked his way, you know, he worked through his way through the process. And, and it's kind of fun, especially in that, you know, that um, field. It's, um, it's obviously very image driven and it's very, um, you know, it's a, it's a fast pace and ever changing, um, space. So, yeah, I just, you know, I think for him and his, and his wife to have gotten to the success that they've gotten to, and they're really kind of average normal people, um, is cool. I did the one, one last thing I'll say, it was interesting. You know, I asked him a question about this politician that I think his name's Stassen that he, he yeah. looked into and it was interesting. I read the Wikipedia on this guy before um, uh, we interviewed him. Cause I just didn't know why that was his favorite Minnesotan. And one of the things this guy did is he, he almost like conceded. Uh, he helped Eisenhower be elected when he, mm-hmm. he could have ran himself. And so it was kind of this weird world of, uh, yeah. we're all trying to find our way back to the middle now. And, but no one's really doing it. It's like, it's like, right. oh, now we're going to go back to the middle, but, but we're still trying <laughs> to get to the other guy, no matter what side you're on. So I did think that was interesting that the guy that was his hero, it was about compromise. And it seems like that's Frank's personality. Even, even when he talks about Amelia, it's sort of like uh, they both get a vote, but Amelia breaks ties. You know, that's what I took away from it. Um, yeah. But isn't that how waves are? Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know I'm, what I mean? I'm not sure I even get a vote, um, but yeah, I don't get a vote either, but yeah, no, I'm a big fan. So this is going to be episode number, what are we four? four? Yeah, four. It seems like 400, but it's four. Yeah, no, people love it. Uh, can you keep a secret? Frank Vassalero. So here's your intro. Uh, we're back at, can you keep a secret? Um, we got, uh, the co-anchor WCCO five, six and 10, one half of the power couple known as Framelia. Uh, this is the Vince Vaughn of 10P here in the Twin Cities, the kind of man you say, get in here for the real thing before you hug, and he probably smells good, maybe some cologne. Mr. Frank Vassalero, how are you, buddy? Greatest introduction ever. I'm good, John. How are you? Hi, Tom. Hey, how are you? Great. Um, so we're going to run you around the horn on some buckets here. Um, you started at, it looks like Wand TV. This might not have been your first gig, but you uh, you were in Decatur in Peoria, Illinois. Um, you know, t- we're recording this on Groundhog Day. I'm curious what the minor leagues of news looks like, like, did they ever send you to cover, you know, a pig slaughter in Decatur? Like, what are some of the things that you've treated as news as you came up? Wow. Well, that, you know, it's so interesting because no one asked me about that stuff anymore. But, um, you know, I have some really great memories of there of that. It was it was a, a training ground to answer your question specifically. I know more about corn and beans than anyone watching in Minneapolis would ever imagine. I mean, I was in the middle of the agricultural heart of Illinois. Archer Daniels Midland, this huge global conglomerate, was headquartered in the town where I worked. And I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I did about yield and harvest and pesticide. And so, I mean, 
I'm knowledgeable about that stuff. But, you know, the WAND thing was a really interesting, strange part of my life because it was my first gig and I was making $14,500 a year, um, which I think comes out to like about three twelve an hour. And I was really happy because I was doing what I wanted. Um, and uh, I just as an example, I'll never forget my 30th birthday because, you know, 30 is a milestone, right, you guys? Yep. Yeah. 21 you know, is milestone, 30 is milestone. My 30th birthday, I am sitting in the McDonald's. Uh, with a, a female photographer, really good friend of mine. And I, I think I ordered, you know, the extra value meal number five because I was splurging that day because it was my birthday. And I'm 30 years old. That is old. only three bucks. Right. I'm making $14,500 a year, anchoring the weekend news and reporting indicator. And all my friends are, you know, their their success path is much better. And I it was my first gig because I changed careers late in life. And I'm looking at the assistant general manager and I, I turn to Kelly and I'm like, that guy probably makes more money than I do. And I said, but you know what? I am really happy to be here doing what I'm doing, even though I'm eating in the Decatur McDonald's on El Dorado Street, which is spelled El Dorado, but they're <laughs> pronounced it El Dorado. So it's so interesting you bring that up because I mean, uh, it, my, it's been just a, a wild journey back from those days and the stuff I used to learn and cover and do. I, uh, how did you become a news guy? So like, were you the kind of kid that was, um, emceeing your basketball banquet or like you, how do you, how do you end up being an anchorman? Uh, painfully shy kid, tall, skinny, really shy. Um, up until about maybe, you know, mid grade school. Okay. But I, all the time, I mean, we had a black and white 12 inch television in our kitchen. And then in our living room, we had the big, you know, TV that was actually in a cabinet, right? A color TV, none of which had remote controls, either of them. And I remember watching Walter Cronkite and watching the local news and watching the CBS evening news, um, nightly religiously being interested in what was going on, you know, in the world and in my city. So I always had that kind of natural curiosity, but I, uh, fast forward, I didn't follow that in school and I didn't follow it after school. I didn't even start to become a news guy until I was 27 years old. And what, what was the shift? How did it happen? Um, you know, it's actually, it's, it's a good story. My, uh, I, I was working as a, a retail stockbroker in Chicago. I worked for uh, Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers. Just for the record, they were both reputable firms, and I didn't have anything to do with them, <laughs> with them going down the rat hole um, with, with all the things. And uh, I, I was okay at it. It was good money. I, my friends were doing it, but I wasn't great at it, and I didn't love it. And my dad... Um, so all four of my grandparents are immigrants from Sicily. My dad and mom didn't go to college. My dad was really smart. After he got out of uh, the army in World War II, where he was a mechanic, he wanted to fly. So we went to Greater Rockford Airport, and he'd meet like a, a rich guy like John King or Tom Garrity, and he, who had an airplane. And he'd go, hey, John, I'll fix your airplane and do the maintenance on it and not charge you if you teach me to fly it. And that's how my dad learned how to fly. 
And then he leveraged that, you know, he got, he got, he got his license. He got more hours. He started working for a small contract company that flew like parts and stuff around in a Convair 580. And from then he went to Eastern airlines and eventually to frontier airlines. And he became a pilot, right. Without a college education. But my point is my dad loved what he did and he wanted, and he wanted to do it. And I was like, I don't love what I'm doing. So when my father died, when I was 26, 27 years old, it was like such a wake up call for me. Like you've got to do what you want to do. And I was like, what do you want to do? And I thought about, you know, those Walter Cronkite days and curiosity. And I was like, you know what, you've got a decent voice. You're not afraid to talk. You can handle yourself. Like you should, I want to be a news guy. I want to be a reporter. So I was living in Chicago at the time and I went to Northwestern and I went to University of Chicago and I went to Loyola. I went to every school and I was like, can I just take journalism classes? And they laughed at me and I'm like, you have to get a four year degree. And I like, can I audit some? Can I, I, cause I needed some training. Right. And none of them would let me. And then I found a place called Columbia college, which is in uh, South Chicago, right next to the Hilton where the famous, you know, uh, uh, the famous DNC riots were. And Columbia College was like, sure, we'd love to have you. So I went down there and my teacher, it was like trade school. Like I had one teacher who was the weatherman at Fox, one who was a reporter at Fox, one who used to be a producer at CBS, and one who was um, also a reporter. And I just like, I went to trade school for nine months while I worked as a waiter at Papa Milano's slinging pizza and pasta. And during the day I'd go to school. And from that, it led to an internship in Champagne, and then it led to that first job in Decatur. So extraordinarily long story, but sadly, my father's death was a real impetus for me to change my career. Do what you love. Um, I love that. I, there is a line on your bio, Tom and I were talking this morning, that just jumps out. Um, growing up in Denver, Frank attended the U.S. Air Force Academy before transferring to Boulder. <laughs> holy shit i how whoa so your goal from making your bed and shining your shoes to uh, going to samples concerts at in boulder like what i need i need a little background on this so uh yeah you know speaking of my dad god my father was never more upset than when i left the air force academy my my sister got pregnant at a very young age he was, my sister goes, your father, she goes, dad is more upset about you leaving the Air Force Academy than when I got pregnant. I was like, thanks. That makes me feel really good. Um, but I went to the Air Force Academy because uh, I was a good football player and I got good grades and they recruited me. And how do you turn that down? Right. I mean, um, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I mean, I got there when I was 17 years old and, you know, a week later, uh, you know, they got my head shaved and people are screaming and yelling at me. And, and if I would have had a prospectus about the Air Force Academy, I might have stuck it out. But I was already a pilot at the time. Like I started because of my dad, I started flying when I was 14. I soloed two days after my 16th birthday, but I wasn't pilot qualified at the Air Force Academy because I'm blind as a bat. I can't see without glasses. And they have these uptight rules, like we're not going to put you in a $21 million aircraft if you don't have perfect vision. It's bullshit rule, John. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, uh, I I was at the academy. I wasn't a good fit. I didn't like it. I wish I would have been more mature. I might have stuck with it. I wish that I wouldn't have had to take all the math and science. Uh, like now you can go there and get a business degree or a pre-law degree. But back then I was like, my future is in a silo 
in South Dakota because I can't fly. And uh, I, I didn't want to do it. So anyway, I left and it was late in the year. And I'm like, I'm not going to sit out a semester. I'm going to apply to the public university. So I got in, of course, the University of Colorado. And the first semester I'm there, after one semester, I am on academic probation. And my <laughs> father looks at me and goes, how can you go from getting into the United States Air Force Academy to being on academic probation at the public university? And I was like, well, uh, I told him, I didn't tell him everything, but I did tell him about all the booze. And I did tell him about all the girls. I did tell him about all the great parties. And that brought a little clarity for him. But it was like letting... I went to an all-boys Catholic high school for four years. Then I went to the Air Force Academy, and then they let me loose in Boulder. So give us a slice of life. So, so let's imagine Tom and I are on uh, that old TV show, Quantum Leap, and we arrive your freshman year at, at Boulder, uh, and we walk into a party you're at. Uh, yeah. I want to know, what, what are you drinking? What does it smell like? What's playing on the stereo? What are you wearing? Just, just humor us with a little portrait of Boulder Frank. These are great questions. Um, at one point, I might have had an earring in my left ear. On and off for my freshman year, I had an earring. So uh, my hair's longer than you see me on the number four TV, but it, it, it's not uh, too radically, terribly long like yours is. Um, I am definitely, if you are listening to uh, any kind of new wave 80s music, we are going to be friends, man. If you like the police, or if you like uh, uh, Weller, like if you like the jam, if you like Oingo Boingo, if you like U2, um, we are going to hang out and we are going to have a really good time. Uh, and I'm probably drinking beer because I'm not too sophisticated. But if you hand me a shot of anything, I will consume it, um, <laughs> which led to my academic probation problem. <laughs> Oh, thank you for that. Um, you mentioned you're sleeping with your co-anchor. I was laughing. Uh, I was picking up this story where all these um, viewers of CCO were were irate that you were not social distancing because no. <laughs> because they didn't know you were married, and they're they're getting on social. Hey. You better practice what you preach, CCO. You got this guy and this gal sitting right next to each other. But what it, what's it like to be part of a power couple? Uh, you know, I don't think of it like that. But, I mean, the great, you know, the part of it is, is and, and people don't understand. Um, again, your questions, you guys, are awesome. Um, you know, there's two games in TV. You know, the, 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 the first game and the most obvious game is beat the other guy, right? Like, beat care 11 beat channel five beat channel nine that's that's the that's the external game but what people don't understand is the internal game is you've taken two complete strangers who have a ton of self-interest uh and ego in their career and you've put them right next to each other and go have chemistry and trust one another and do a good job and that's the weirdness of tv so um the internal fight is you know, and I don't know, sometimes it goes on greatly at station, sometimes it doesn't, but it's why did John get to do the promo? Tom is upset because his he's first in line in the in the photo shoot and 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 John is second. And why didn't I get this? And why are you 
promoting him? And why does he get to read that story? And why can't I read the big story? And why am I standing in front of the wall? That goes on all the time. There's this internal competition. And the beauty of it is, is we have none of that. Zero. You know, and the other great part is, is that when either of you guys screw up, I don't know, you know, between guys, it's different, but between, you know, a man and a woman, um, to, to be able to look at your co-anchor and go in your head, you're going, God, this person sucks. And I can't believe that I have to sit next to them. And we're not number one because of this person. Well, we don't do that. My wife just turns me in a commercial and goes, well, I can't believe you read that like that. That sucks. And I look at her and I go, I know. Thank you for pointing it out. And I turned to her and I was going, why would you read that? You know, or why didn't you change that before the show? And it's really open and it's really honest and it really comes from a good spot and it's really trustworthy. So I think that is a huge part of our success is just the fact that it's so relaxed and that we're so honest. And, you know, I trust her implicitly and she trusts me. Um, and the spillover is that now you don't have people in your newsroom going, I'm in the John King camp. John's a much better anchor than Tom Garrity. Well, I'm going to rally behind John. And other people are like, screw King. Tom is the reason that we're doing great. I'm going to get with Tom. So we alleviate that problem. So it's really, really, really a good thing. Although it got off to a rough start, uh, I will admit, between my wife and I when we first, it took a few months to get there. That's well, I got a question. So like what, what uh, you know, you always see these things sometimes and like analytics and, and do you guys have to deal with like they tell you what to wear and your likability scale and you need to act? I mean, how how in depth is all that stuff related to um, uh, matrices on, on on your shows? And not as much as it used to be. Um, you know, there used to be a lot more research. You know, they used to have a thing called a Q factor. You know, what's your Q factor? What's your likability? Like uh, Pat Sajak, supposedly, you know, he started off as a TV guy before he did Wheel of Fortune. Supposedly, Pat Sajak had like the highest Q ever, like off the charts, you know, and that's why they pulled him out. And was like, you should be a game show host. And hey, it worked <laughs> out. Right? Um, but we, you know, we don't have as much in-depth research before. And in terms of the and I'll say this just as a blanket answer, not to sound egotistical, but when you're number one, you get less of that stuff, Tom. You know, you don't get like. If we were the number three station, I'm sure they would scrutinize Amelia's clothing and mine a lot more. But we're number one, so they don't. So you don't get a lot of that. Occasionally, and women get it so much more than men. Women get, you should grow your hair. You should cut your hair. I like you better in bright colors. Why are your nails black? I prefer that you did this. Guys hardly get that at all. And and years ago, just as an experiment, I wore the same suit every single day for a week, Monday through Friday. <laughs> no one emailed or said shit to me. Okay. <laughs> Had my wife done anything remotely close like that, like worn the same outfit twice in a week, the phones would have lit up the email too. And it would have been mostly women. So it's, it's really not micromanaged that much. And also my wife is fabulous uh, she's hip. She's cool about fashion. She's into it. She knows it. And again, going back to that trust thing, like I'll walk out of the house. She, she'll be like, you're not wearing that, you know, or change and put this on. Um, um, so, uh, it, it used to be different. We're kind of immune to it. It might go on at other places. It goes on to a degree, but for us, we don't, we don't get a lot of it, which is great. Well, one one other question I have for you, because I'm just curious, because, you know, obviously you guys do a fantastic job, but how much prep do you do? 
so I go through the show a couple times, uh, the five and six, to make sure that one, in terms of content, does it make sense? Is it stacked right? Are we doing what we should do? Always being really conscious of the fact that I'm working on this now for an hour and a half, right? And someone's been working on it for seven hours. So you don't want to come in and Bigfoot them and go like, John, what the hell? Why would you do this? You're a moron, right? I mean, wrong approach, right? You go in and it's like, hey, I do. Could we change this? What were you thinking? Why are we doing this? And again, the people I work with, and I think it's because of the Frank and Amelia trust factor, they'll, they'll get in my face and they'll be like, no, we're doing it this way because of this. And we have some really open communication. But, you know, no one cares who wrote it. All they care is that I say it. So I'm writing, I'm rewriting things. I hate passive sentences. So I'm rewriting those. I'm making everything active voice. I'm changing a few words. I'm being much more colloquial than some of my colleagues. You know, like you will never hear me ever say the word a suspect fled, you know, from a bank robbery. I'm like, no one talks like that. Guy ran off after he robbed the bank. That's what you say. So that's what I'm doing is trying to make it a little bit of my own, making sure we don't have any errors, making sure that there's some content. And then we do something very unique at WCCO, Tom, and that we actually rehearse the show. We go in at 4.30 and we do a run through of the first segment of the five o'clock news. And it's not so much for, well, it's part for a million I, but it's really much more for technically, um, is everything working the way it should? Are reporters live shots working? Is everyone's microphone working? Are all the different sources working? We can't do a rehearsal for the six because there's no time in between uh, 5.30 and six. And then we do a rehearsal at 9.30 for the 10. Um, so sometimes that process is rushed. Sometimes it takes, uh, uh, sometimes it's slower, but it, it's a real huge community effort. Um, you know, there's a lot of people touching that show much more than just, you know, Frank and Amelia and a producer. So your, uh, your suspect, suspect fled example yeah. reminded me of the first time I experienced, uh, Frank Vassalero, I was watching the news. I don't even know if I've told you this, Tom. I'm watching the news, and um, they cut to the, I don't know, the weather guy. And uh, his, I think his name was Jonathan Uhas, and he's wearing these white felt gloves, and he's doing the weather. And they cut back to Frank, and Frank goes, Jonathan, uh, does your wife know that you're wearing her gloves today? And he's on the air, and he just locked up. He, he, he couldn't do banter. He couldn't, uh, he just, he just went in a shell and he sat there with his hands out <laughs> and then they, they cut back and I went, I like this guy. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> no, but I can see myself doing it. Um, yeah, well that's, you know, that was the morning too. And the morning's a lot looser. Um, yeah. Although with Chris, you know, I, I can say or do anything. And there's some people, you know, right? Like, uh, I know how you are, and, and 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 I don't even know you that well, but I know how you could ping pong those things, John. Um, and like our current weatherman, I can say anything I want in the world to him. Pat Kessler, I could. We would never script a question or talk about anything because I knew I could ask him anything in the world, and he would answer. And you know, you have to be authentic these days because there's so much competition. If you're not your real self, you're going to get killed in the TV business. So if I asked Pat a question and he didn't know the answer, you know what he'd say? I don't know. Yeah. I'll try to find out. Right. And that's what you want. Like some other people, especially younger people, you ask them a question they don't know, they're going to freak out. Right. Um, it's, sometimes, so it's kind of know your audience a little bit too, but God, <laughs> you make me sound like a bad dude uh, for asking Jonathan. About why he's no, so it, 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 I wonder why he was. It relates to a question though. So 
one of the things that I am fascinated about, about the news, and I think Anchorman went here a little bit in the sense of there is this newsroom banter. Okay. So what I mean is like, so let's say it's before we go, it's the last segment and there's somebody has got a big pumpkin at a, at a Halloween thing. And then there's two people on there and they go, well, isn't that a big pumpkin? And then the other person goes, I'll say it is. <laughs> and then they, and so there's like this whole world of like, like newsroom banter. The closest thing in my life is uh, my, my family will say that I have a mirror face. So when I look in a mirror, I, I make this face without trying to, that's not a natural face. So I'm just curious, do you ever find yourself with like Amelia at home and you're like, you're like talking like you're on the news and then, or do you have like a switch where it goes on and off? I, I, you know, the only switch and, and, uh, and you should never do it, but, but you know, you should never, say anything you don't want to on a hot mic because or on a mic because you never know if it's hot or not. So I have really been much better about uh, the use of all my fabulous curse words that, that I will say openly in the newsroom, uh, really trying to be better in the studio and around the mic, not saying them. But, you know, I, I, we're, we, there's not as, as much, you know, banter like that as you think, you know, I, I hope we're doing the actual opposite. I hope we're bringing more of our natural life to TV. Yeah. Right. Um, and we're really lucky that, you know, Chris Schaefer and Mike Max are really natural, normal guys. And so you can do that with them because we're all kind of thinking the same thing. You know, we're all thinking like you're thinking at home, you're like looking at it like the pumpkin story is innocuous, but there's some other stories you're going, what a freaking clod that guy is. Um, and but you can express what a clod that guy is without saying on the air, what a freaking clod, right? So that you have to have some nuance about that. But if you do it right, then I've endeared myself to John King because he still remembers the, why are you wearing your wife's glove stories? And they're like, oh, I like those people. And at the end of the day, I mean, while you're doing some real solid journalism and lately some really heavy freaking topics at the end of the day, it's like, do I like Tom? Do I like John? And that's kind of where people come down on it. Like, you know what? I like them. I trust them. I think they're doing a pretty decent job. So um, you got, you've got to be really authentic about all that stuff. Um, what about, I got, well, I, to John's point, um, have you ever had a situation where you just lost it? Where you just were literally like cracked up or just couldn't get focused. You know how you start laughing in church and you can't stop yeah. laughing and everyone's smacking on the back of the head. Have you ever had a situation where you're on air and you're just you lose it and you're really trying hard to get pulled back in, in you know, back on the rails? Not, you know, not as much here, but like you know, like uh John asked him about the Decatur thing. Like one of my fabulous Decatur moments was um they have a uh, high-speed boat race, you know, like those hydrofoil boats. Have you guys seen those things? You know, like yeah. on top of the water at, you know, 90 miles an hour. So 4th of July in Decatur, they have this huge festival there. There was some rain. It's like, you know, there's nothing going on in Decatur. So this is like a big deal that this thing happens. And we had a noon show, and I told the guy, the event organizer, like, you know, you're going to be it, and we're going to stay on our station, whether it's, you know, green light or it's not happening. So I'm going to be on top of this hill you know, 150 yards up here overlooking the lake, you come up there, but you've got to be there, you know, like at 1157 drop dead. Right. So the guy's not there. The guy's not there. The guy's not there. I decide 
you know, because I'm I don't I don't have an answer, right? He's the decision maker. I run down the hill. It's got to be 93 with 117 percent humidity. I run down the hill to get him. He and 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 then he goes, God, I forgot. So we run back up the hill. By the time I made back up the hill, I I, I look like I have just you know. Uh, run a marathon. I'm dripping, drenching sweat. So I tell the photographer as I'm huffing and puffing, just get a shot of me and then pan over to the lake. And then I'll wait, I'll fill until this guy crawls his ass up the hill because he's slower than me, you know, and he doesn't understand that, you know, this is TV. I got to get this thing on. So anyway, I go up there and the cameraman is focused on me and I'm, Hey, uh, yeah. Hi, uh, Liz. Good afternoon. Yeah, we're just I, so, so I'm hyperventilating and I'm dripping sweat and I'm tr- I'm trying to move. I'm, I'm shuffling to the right because I want the guy to pan off to the left. But the guy is so fascinated with my meltdown on television, physically, <laughs> emotionally and spiritually, that he stays with me the whole time and he won't move the camera to the lake. And I'll never forget it because it was just a horrendous moment. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm doing so poorly that this guy can't pull away from the train wreck because he's fascinated by watching me completely melt down on TV. Can You Keep a Secret is sponsored by, I couldn't think of two better companies to take care of you for Valentine's Day, which is coming up closed circuit to all you, you guys out there and girls. It's going to be this Sunday, okay? So you're going to want to go to the Minnesotan or the Minnesotan.com. And what they're doing this week is pretty amazing. Anybody who brings in a non-perishable food item this week, one non-perishable food item is going to get 20% off at the Minnesotan. You know, one in six people are hungry right now, one in four kids. So do something good right close to your community and parlay it into an amazing, one-of-a-kind Valentine's Day gift. Tons of athleisure in there, so you can wear stuff that feels good. You know, with the COVID, you know, we're at work, we're not at work, we're at the health club, we're at home. You need stuff that you can wear anywhere that feels good everywhere. And they have a ton of it, whether it's joggers, quarter zips, hoodies, a million different hats, some new flannel shirts, they got these ultralight windbreakers that I'm quite fond of, imagining myself back on the golf course. So check out the Minnesotan or the Minnesotan.com. Our second sponsor is Softies. Now, Oprah, you might have heard of her, she's put Softies on her favorite things list four years in a row. This is a Minnesota-based company. This is what the guy from Softies told me. He said, we make women's sleepwear, loungewear, and robes. Why is it a killer gift for Valentine's Day? In parentheses, it's a killer pandemic gift. When will it ever be okay to live in your PJs again? We're COVID forward at Softies from the patented wellness fabrics spun into the DNA of our sleepwear to our versatile and cozy work-from-home lounge pieces to our luxury robes that will envelop you in cloud-like softness all winter long. Up your downtime, downtime game. That's Softies. My, uh, my wife has gotten into these things, and I can't get her out of them. Um, she particularly loves the Cozy Cloud Cardigan, the Marshmallow Slouch Neck Lounger, which I'm told is also one of Oprah's favorite 
items specifically, as well as a V-neck tulip hem nightshirt. Go to softiespjs.com, type in code FAMILY, you're going to get 20% off. If you buy this for your spouse, I promise you, this is a gift they're going to love. Even you, Frank, you're probably listening to this. You might want to pick up a bunch of this stuff for Amelia, your better half. All right, back to Frank. Two-part two question. Uh, if I was, I've been to Italy once, but if you were going to send, tell someone to visit Italy properly, what does that look like? And then if you're living in the Twin Cities and you're trying to do your best um, Italian, whether that's food or an event or a restaurant or a bar, how do you, how do you do Italy in the Twin Cities and, and how would you do Italy in Italy as an expert? Uh, depending on how much time you had in Italy, I would say you've got to go to Rome. You should, you've got to go to Florence and, um, I would hope you could go to Sicily and maybe the Amalfi coast. And then if you had time, go to Venice, although I've never been to Venice, but I'm going to tell you to go there anyway, but I would have to do Rome and Florence and Sicily, but there's some personal bias in that, of course. And here, you know, we, there's a, uh, um, we used to go out so much more, right? Like everything's changed, especially because of last year and then, and everything changed once you have kids. But um, in Lilydale, Bongiorno, Delhi, still love it. If you want like closest to like, you can get to like Delhi style stuff. Yep. Yeah. And then in uh, Burnsville, uh, Briano's, great deli. Like if you want uh, Italian beef sandwiches, sausage and peppers, that kind of stuff, highly recommend um those places. But I got to tell you too, um, you know, if you just want like a real authentic Italian beef sandwich, Portillo's now, they kill it. Mm. They're, and Portillo's Italian sausage is actually from Chicago. You know, they're using Scala Italian sausage. So that's good. But, you know, the best thing is, and, and this, you know, you guys' questions are so great that every Sunday, because my wife is half Italian, and just like I did growing up, maybe Sunday when the pandemic's over, we can have you over for pasta and meatballs because that's all we do on Sundays, pasta and meatballs. I'd love that. Do you, uh, That'd be awesome. how about a uh, um, related, uh, I'd like a pizza. I'd like your thinking. I w- and I want to, this area that Clooney's in, in Italy, this Lake Como thing that's yeah. recent. I don't know what your take is on that. Is that a spot or is that just a spot if you're George Clooney? <laughs> like you can't really dip into Lake Como. I heard it's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, God, that, what a great life that cat lives, right? Oh. Handsome, beautiful wife. Seems like a cool guy. Came up with his own tequila. The dude's killing it. I love that guy. Well, I think his dad was a TV broadcaster too, right? He was. Because these. I, yeah, because I lived in Cincinnati and he did some work there. And I know his father was his what aunt or his Rosemary Clooney, and then his father was a TV personality. That's yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. I remember when he sold his tequila and he got three hundred million himself. I was sitting with my wife in New York, I think, and she just looked at me and goes, "George Clooney's good at living." <laughs> and I was yeah. like, that's, you know, in, in the uh, pretend world, it, it, it's, if when you're married and if you had a pass, uh, that's my, my wife chooses Clooney. That's her, yeah, that's that's her, her, uh, her exemption list. Yeah. And I, actually, that, actually, he's on my list, too. My wife's giving me George Clooney, so that's fine. I'd, I'd be fine waking up next to Clooney. Um, 
you mentioned in your bio, Frank, that your favorite Minnesotan, you might've wrote this a long time ago, but was this Harold Stassen. And I, I was looking him up, politician. I, I couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out what you loved about him. I mean, obviously a big, big life, but I, I would love to hear you've been doing this for a long time. Who are some of your all time beauties in the state? You know, whether it was Prince or, Randy Moss or, you know, being here as long as you've been doing the news, if you had to have a Mount Rushmore of your favorites that made your life more interesting, who, who are some of those people? And tell us a little bit about Stassen as well. Interesting. So Stassen, I got on because my uh, there's a history teacher at my daughter's high school, the Academy of Holy Angels. His name's Steve Worley, and he's a history geek, and, and so am I. And he wrote a book about Stassen. And uh, I never would have read it, but out of respect for him, I read it. And then I went to go listen to his lecture. And the guy knew how to compromise. And we don't do it anymore. It, 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 it's horrendous. And, um, and, and, and that, more than anything, drew me to him. He was like, I, get, I know what I want. I know I'm not going to get everything I want. I know what the other side wants. They're not going to get everything that they want. I've got an idea. Why don't we look at the greater good and try to do some things that help the greater good. And I'm like, God, that just spoke to me. And it speaks to me even more because I forgot to tell you the truth that I wrote him down. Cause that bio's a little bit dated, you know, because everyone knows everything about you now. Cause it's, it's in flashes of Instagram and Twitter and this and that, but you know, I, I, Stassen was about that. And dear God, do I really think we're in a time in our life where we need more compromise and moderation and less polarization. So that's why him. Um, that's great. So who are your, like, who are your sports teams? I mean, I mean, obviously you're Minnesota, but I mean, like what, what's your, what, what are your teams? I mean, are you a football guy, hockey guy, hoops? I, I mean, what's your thing you like to watch? So I'm not, you know, like you guys, I know are deep into hockey. I, I'm just not, cause I didn't grow up with it and I don't understand it as well, but you know, um, we're my, uh, my son was a, Oh, I, I've got a son in college now. He was a fabulous high school basketball player. He went to play college for the Tommies and did it for a year and then quit. I, I, um, so we're, I'm deep into amateur sports. Um, I love the, and my daughter's a phenomenal high school basketball player. My son, uh, she has a twin brother. He just committed to play football for the Johnnies. So I've got some, nice. yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's cool. I've got some really great athletic kids and I love it, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm more always, my love Tom is much more amateur sports, you know, like I would uh, on a Saturday, I want to just watch college football all day long. And on Sunday I'll have the Viking game on, but I don't need to be there from kickoff to the final whistle. Um, and, and I love and respect the pro game, but Amateur sports is different, you know, I think it, it, because I played it and because there's more improbability and there's more surprise and um, and they're amateurs. And I, I love the fact that they're out there working hard um, for for and as a team, maybe for a different purpose. You know, the, the pro game is is different. So college football would be at the top of the list. Of course, I love the Vikings. I want to see them win. I'm so happy the Gophers are doing well. I love when Gopher hockey does well. I'm happy Lindsey Whalen is here, but I'm, uh, I'm much more skewed towards amateur sports. I'm curious. So, so I know you've got, you're fun, right? You like to get after it a little bit. I've seen you on uh, planes, plane rides home from Las Vegas. 
Uh, I think I think I've seen you maybe with your shirt off um, at a craps table at a fundraiser. I don't know for sure. So when you're the face of late night, do you feel like you can like can you be yourself or do you do you have to like be at Deer Lake to to uh, you know to get into one a little bit? I, I'm just curious how how much you feel that you're on display or can you, can you let loose a little bit? You know, it's not so much, uh, let loose. Um, you know, because for, because for me, let, let, let loose is, is probably too much for whatever my job is. Right. So like, um, <laughs> but, but, but the thing that's that, that, uh, and you know, I, I just, you know, cause I didn't get in the job for those reasons. Um, I just like people to, to know me, you know, uh, as me, like, you know, I'm, you know, before this, I told you we have to kind of do it a little later in the morning because I have to go to the dog park. Right. So in the dog park, I mean, I'll occasionally get some questions about the news and that's okay. Cause people should ask that, but you know, they're, they, they treat me much more as like, you know, Frank, the guy at the dog park. And, and, and I love that. So, um, you know, I'm old now, so I don't do as much of that stuff. I haven't been to Vegas on that trip with my buddies in, in 10 years. So it's really not an issue. But I I, 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 I guess to answer your question, I really feel like I can I can be myself. And I like being myself. And, and again, the key to success is the myself who you see on TV is not a different person than you're, than you're talking to now, other than instead of having, you know, a minute 30 to tell you a story, we've, we've been able to chat for an hour. So I, I hope people see the parallels and, and um, that, that's the, the the beauty of some of the opening up of this stuff is that people get more of a sense of who you are because I, I kind of lose track of the fact that, oh, people think you're on TV and that's all they see is this guy in this suit. And, um, and as you know, I mean, there's a there's a lot more to Tom and John than, than just your careers and what you're known as professionally. And, and that's a good thing, I think. No, I was just going to say, I think that's been a key to your success, Frank, is that you, you aren't the newsroom banter guy. You know, you aren't, you know, laughing about the pumpkin, you know, with the news. You, you are Frank and people feel that. But go ahead, Tom. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I definitely in, in, in this in short time that we've been talking, I can sense a lot of pride in your kids. And um, obviously they've done well and they're good athletes. Do you make it a point to not miss their stuff? I mean, do you try to, you know, go to all their games and, you know, or is that difficult from time to time? You know, now with all sorts of different, you know, Zooms and things, people can get games and stuff. But it really sounds like the kids have done well. And is that a big part of your life, obviously? Huge. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, I mean, there's nothing more important to Amelia and I, you know, than our kids. Um, and, you know, I remember when I met Amelia, you know, we had this fabulous uh, conversation, um, both really, really drunk, but I was still fabulous. Conversation. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and we talked for a long time and, and uh, 2% of the conversation was about television. The rest was about like family and life. And, and that was great. But, my station has been really good to us, Tom, about giving us some flexibility. So like last night, uh, we never usually get to take any time off in a ratings period together. They gave us the five and six o'clock news off. So we could go to my daughter, Francesca's senior night and, and both walk out with her and, and do that. Awesome. And that was a fabulous moment. And I didn't get to go to my son's senior night for football. I had to get there late and we like we snapped a picture 
right before kickoff. But I, but I, I really, I build my life around how can I get to their games? How can I see them spring break, vacation, section final state tournament? Uh, that's it. I mean, they're the, it's the focus of our life and it'll be weird. Our life will be different in six months because they'll be gone. But um, yeah, no, that's, that's, there's nothing more important to us than them. All right. So, Hey, last question. This is, this is a serious week as we get, and we won't get into, <laughs> we won't get into um, specifics, but uh, you mentioned earlier, part of the reason you like Stassen is he, he, um, he, you know, he's willing to compromise. Uh, I think we're at a time in the country where the middle is sort of gone. Um, and specific to news, Frank, everybody's in their bubble, right? So someone will go home and watch three hours of CNN, MSNBC. Someone else will be watching three hours of Fox News. And, and there's been implications on Minneapolis, right, where, you know, I'm out in the suburbs and, and White Bear and, and Tom's in Stillwater. It's not uncommon to hear somebody say, well, I'm never going back. I'm not going to, you couldn't pay me to go to Minneapolis. And I'm just curious what you think, you know, future of Minneapolis, what would you like to see? How do we kind of uh, find that middle again and, um, and, you know, go forward? You know, uh, I'm just curious what, uh, and what role does the news play in that perhaps? Uh, I don't know, because with the question you just asked, we should just really do another two hours of just trying to answer that. And, and, and I won't do that to you, but um, I, 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 I'm not sure that I have the answers. I, I know that the role the news plays is to, to, to try to get out there and, and, and really do our absolute best to present as, as, as much as we can. And it sounds trite, but I mean, have some equity, have some fairness have a lot of diversity of opinion um, and to put it in a fair, concise, really salient way. Um, but I think my short answer to your bigger question is there has to be some grace for failure because these complicated issues of uh, race and politics, if you don't let me try to answer your questions and maybe stumble and say the wrong thing without chopping my head off, we're not going to go anywhere. I mean, I tell it to my kids all the time. Don't be afraid to fail. That's the only way you learn. But now one false word by, by Tom or John or Frank, and it's like, cancel them. They suck. They're horrible. They must be X, you know, pick your name, you know, white supremacist, racist, progressive. And, and there's no grace for failure. There's when you're dealing with complicated issues, you can't just sit down and solve them. You have to stumble through them. You have to have some growth and growth comes from screwing things up and learning from your mistakes. And there's, there's very little willingness anywhere along the spectrum to allow people to make a couple of mistakes, to learn from their mistakes and to become better people um, either individually or collectively. And that scares me. A lot. Um, you, you can't just cancel people. You, you don't have to like them, but you know what? Instead of canceling them, why don't you try to teach them? Why don't you try to educate them? And then if they can't be educated, then if you need to cancel them in your own mind, fine. But first, try to help them understand your position and, and, and why you feel it. There's there's no conversation going on, and that and that scares me. And hopefully, my job and what I do, we can help lead to more conversation. That would make me really, really happy. I. 
grace for failure. I had not heard that phrase. And I think you're right. It's about discourse. It's about compromise. I, I found myself watching the West Wing a couple years ago, and I was just amazed. Now it's Aaron Sorkin writing fake words, but people talking to each other and and I'm changing your mind and you're changing my mind. Um, I think if we could get back to that, um, that'd be that'd be a step in the right direction. I do think the local news plays a big role in that. You're a lot closer to Cronkite than cable news is for sure. So, um, well, hey, man, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, uh, and uh, right after the dog park, man, we got the perfect slot. I think I might have a number five at McDonald's later today in your honor. And, uh, and oh. <laughs> I'll call it, I'll text you with some questions about corn. Um, you guys, the, the, you know, the questions were awesome because they're just different, uh, and fun. And it took me uh, back to some places that I haven't been for a while. And it made me think a little bit too. So I, I appreciate it. And I know you're going to be extraordinarily successful with this thing and you guys are super cool. So it's kind, oh, of, thank you. kind of you to ask me on. You're a good man. Oh, you're awesome. You're Take awesome. Care. Peace, brother. Peace. Good luck with those kids' hoops. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.